A written transcript of this episode is provided by Starburst. For more information, you can see the show notes. Welcome to Data Mesh Radio with your host, Scott Herleman, sponsored by Starburst. Starburst is a single platform to help you activate all your data, no matter where it lives. Check out our new Data Products for Dummies ebook to learn more about how your organization can utilize data products. To download your free copy, head on over to starburst.io. Data Mesh Radio is provided as a free community resource by Data Mesh Understanding. It is produced and hosted by me, Scott Herleman. I started this podcast as a place for practitioners to get useful information about Data Mesh, and we're at over 200 episodes. I've now left Data Stacks, you know, thanks for all their help in founding things, but I've left to start Data Mesh Understanding, which is also helping practitioners to get to the information needed to do Data Mesh well. We have free implementer introductions and roundtable programs, in addition to the more advanced yet affordable offerings. So please do get in touch if you're looking for more information on how to do, how to approach Data Mesh. Just check datameshunderstanding.com for more info. There's also a helpful organization of past Data Mesh radio episodes there if you want to dig into specific topics rather than digging through 200 different episodes. So with that, let's hit the funky intro music and listen to what you'll hear about in this interview episode. Episode 280, Enabling Your Domains to Create Maintainable Data Products. Bottom line up front, what are you going to hear about and learn about in this episode? I interviewed Alexandra Deem, PhD, who's the head of cloud analytics and MLOps at Norwegian insurance company Yensidia. Yensidia's approach closely aligns with Data Mesh, but they're starting with a focus on kind of consumer-aligned data products as they have a well-functioning data warehouse and are not looking to replace what isn't broken. So they aren't having teams that are actually owning kind of that source aligned data themselves. So some key takeaways or thoughts from Alexandra's point of view. Number one, her advice to her past data mesh self, stop talking to people about data mesh, talk to the changes in the ways of working. It can be very tiresome to try to explain data mesh instead of focusing on those changes. Data mesh isn't the point. It shouldn't be the point of your conversations. Number two, there aren't really any reasons we can't apply many software engineering best practices to data. It's simply we haven't done it broadly in the data world before. So we have to figure out how to do that. But it's not, you know, it's not a crazy idea. (laughs) Number three, there's a push and pull between software best practices and data understanding. Consider which you see as more important and when. Do you bring data understanding to software engineers or software best practices to those with data understanding? Number four, when you leverage pair programming between software engineers that are focused on enablement and data analysts that understand the domain, the software engineers learn more about data and that domain, and the analysts learn good software engineering and product practices. It's a win-win. Number five, the people you enable to do work in a data mesh way should serve as ambassadors of your ways of working, especially within the domain. 
both helping others learn and as champions. That provides organizational scale. You can't individually enable every person in a large company. Number six, quote, too many cooks spoil the broth. Think about having that kind of two pizza team approach so you can have concentrated understanding by those involved in creating data products who then can, again, help others learn within their domain and across the organization. This is good for those in the domain and also for an enablement team, bringing back those learnings to a platform team to say, like, what should we be doing? What what should we be doing better? Number seven, having a team with intimate knowledge of what data products or data product features have been built can speed time to market for other teams and improve reuse. Each time they sit with a team, that new team has far greater access to what's been built before, whether that is existing data sources, existing models or transformations, output ports, etc. Number eight, potentially controversial. With a central enablement team, your job is more to teach the domains how to do the work and get them to minimum viable data products. Otherwise, that central enablement just isn't scalable in a large organization. Number nine, potentially controversial. A perfectly filled data catalog still won't connect all the dots for consumers. Yes, good documentation is important, but there still is a significant value in helping people actually connect the dots. Scott note here, this shouldn't be controversial, but it really is. People want the technology to to do all of this work for them rather than people in the middle. It's also my kind of data Sherpa pattern emerging yet again as something that could be highly valuable. Number 10, if you can, make sure you have a shielding and prioritization mechanism for any central team, or you might end up heading back down that overload central data team as a bottleneck pattern and challenge, right? Number 11, as anyone in the organization Your ultimate role is value generation. That's the whole reason that organizations, you know, have employees. Consider how the data teams do that value generation. If it's an enabling team, it's helping teams to do data work quicker and better. Those teams don't care that you're doing that via data mesh. They care about value delivery. Number 12. Relatedly, terms like data product and self-service platform resonate far more than data mesh. Lean into what generates value, not the implementation details behind the scenes. And potentially read the book The Lean Startup to dig in deeper into this philosophy. Number 13, data reuse is not actually that obvious of a concept to many, probably because it's meant so much cleaning and manual work in the past from finding poorly owned data sources or processes. Train your domain teams to look for places to to reuse what has come before them. Number 14, this one I think is controversial. Potentially look to build your data products from a source of already clean data. That may be an existing data warehouse or something centrally managed. You know, Scott note, this is a data mesh end state anti-pattern, but is it an anti-pattern when in transition? If something isn't broken, do you need to fix it? I think Jamak has talked about why if you don't do certain aspects, you're going to end up with challenges. But if you're willing to take those trade-offs, go into them eyes wide open, but understand that if you want to go and try something different, it's not as if data mesh is the only route or 
if we've figured everything out ahead of time. Just don't give yourself the excuse to not change and slap the data mesh label on. You know, there's lots of push-pull here. Number 15, relatedly, she said, quote, I don't really see the point of having to destroy value before I should be able to generate new value. I can very happily just generate value on top of the value that I already have. That's why they're doing what they're doing with the data warehouse. And finally, number 16, hypothesis testing and fast fail are great software engineering practices, but in data, one, it can be hard to hypothesis test value, and two, it can be quite hard culturally to get people to learn to iterate and embrace fast fail. Okay, enough of just me. Let's hear from our awesome guest in this interview episode. Okay, very, very excited for today's episode. I've got Alexandra Deem here, who's the head of cloud analytics and machine learning operations, or ML ops, at uh, Yen Cedia. And so uh, they've been on a data mesh journey for a while. So I, I reached out to Alexandra to, to understand a little bit more about what they're doing. And we're going to be talking about um, you know their journey, what they've learned, and things like that, but especially about the enabling team. And so a lot of people have kind of brought up this concept as to deploying this group of people into um, into the different teams and things like that, whether that's a consultant in a box group or, you know, that's dependent on what the the actual domain needs and or, or if it's the same thing for uh, each one. And how do you think about getting that up to scaling so that you're not, um, that you're able to actually quickly get uh, domains up to speed as you learn how to do that more and more. And then we're going to talk about kind of data product minimum, you know, data product MVP, so data product minimum viable product, <laughs> or minimum viable mesh. And how do you think about minimum viable whatever, right? How do you think about getting that better and better? How do you think about creating an approach that can evolve? And And we'll be wrapping that throughout the conversation about how do we set ourselves up for evolution instead of, okay, this is our initial um, assumptions about data mesh. So that's what we have to stick with versus like, hey, we're trying these things and we're, we're going to figure out what works best. But before we jump into that, Alexander, if you don't mind giving people a bit of an introduction to yourself, and then we can jump into the conversation at hand. Yeah, sounds good. Uh, thank you so much for having me. Um, so yeah, I'll go a little bit into my background from the beginning because it helps set the scene where I come from. Um, I'm basically, uh, yeah, originally a mathematician um, in the space of academia. I was working a lot with uh, uh, mathematical models of uh, biological processes and then building basically bigger pieces of software that would create huge amounts of data using machine learning then to try and make sense of them and get uh, yeah, doctors to understand why they should trust uh, these models. And so, but eventually I was um, was kind of done with academia for various reasons, uh, went into consulting 
um, and was employed as a data scientist uh, or as the first data scientist in this uh, specific company that I started in. And because I was the first, I basically had to actually work as a software engineer before I could get uh, data science um, projects. Um, and while doing that, and then later on moving on to data science project, I realized that in software engineering, a lot of the methodology that we use there from DevOps and uh, software engineering best practices, there's a lot we can utilize uh, in data science projects and in data products, uh, data projects uh, in general. And so that's also when I um, kind of coincidentally came across uh, the blog post on data mesh. And I was like, oh yeah, that aligns a lot with what I'm thinking. And so then in the end, uh, there was this, uh, yeah, this largest com uh, insurance company in Norway in CDA where I work now, who uh, evidently thought the same way because they they had a they had the advertisement for the position that I have now that I've had for a little less a little less than a year now, um, where I basically lead, uh, yeah, what I describe as the enabling team for our uh, data mesh journey. Awesome. Yeah, and and uh, it's funny how. Um... How many people have that with the Jamac? Although I, I love it when somebody will come to me and be like, hey, you know, data mesh, it, it's a lot like microservices. And it's like, yes, Jamaica said that. She said, yeah. <laughs> we need to take software best practices and bring them to, to data. Um, so let, let's talk a little bit about that journey. And, um, you know, you came in and, and they were already kind of heading in this direction and, and stuff. So, um when you started to think about this enabling team, like how how did you maybe first start out with that enabling concept? And then we can talk about how that's evolved because a lot of people are just like, okay, it's almost the blind leading the blind at the start mm -hmm. of a of an of an implementation journey. Um, you know, you have data people that are leading the software people to help them, but outside of that, it's very much like, uh, we're not sure how to do data mesh and we're supposed to jump into a domain and help them do data mesh. So, uh, so I'd love to hear kind of how that, that, how your initial concept and maybe how you started to evolve that. Mm. Yeah. So I actually got, uh, so when I joined in Syria, I, uh, was presented a ready-made uh, team of, uh, software developers actually. So I'm the only person in my team who actually comes from a data background. And so the focus of the team was to actually, in the beginning, act as both a platform and enabling team for any kind of data product. And so the uh, the goal of the team was basically just to ensure that our analysts uh, get to uh, or learn how to develop data product uh, following software best practices. So basically, software best practices and DevOps and automation were the initial sort of um, yeah, goal uh, of my team. And the, it then became basically when we, when we then switched to a more sophisticated uh, data platform um, for our cloud-based uh, data products, it was then that the idea of data mesh uh, became more and more relevant. Okay, interesting. And, and so when you're thinking about those software engineers and helping people do data, that's kind of been something, again, a little bit of the blind leading the blind. Like, how how did you get your software engineers to, uh, I mean, was it basically them training people 
specifically on software best practices, or did you get your software engineers more and more involved in the data side so that they could kind of be more relevant to that? And, and how did you as well kind of help keep them away from the the data pull of the tooling of where everybody is so enamored with the tools instead of the, the work being done? Mm. Yeah. Uh, so we essentially always work in what we call initiatives with an analyst team. So I think what's a little bit uh, specific in our company is that we have, uh, I believe we have about 25 teams of analysts who sit in the different business domain. So from that perspective, we're already actually set up in a in a nice way for uh, for one of the data mesh principles at least. Um, and so we would we would uh, identify interesting use cases to work with, uh, be it machine learning or be it just a data product. And then two, usually two of my guys will join forces with uh, two of the analysts in the in the analyst team. So then you have this uh, interdisciplinary uh, initiative or project team. Uh, who basically work on a minimum viable product of a data product that will generate business value for that particular team together. And so there's no there's no basically a specific teaching um, activities that we do, but it's more like this working together from scratch to a, a minimum viable product that can be deployed into production where there's a lot of pair programming happening that we utilize um, and yeah, just basically trying to work together and uh, finding the solution together so that we can both utilize the domain expertise and the data expertise from the analysts, uh, which my guys learn a lot from. And then uh, on the other side, the analysts learn how to write, write good code and uh, deploy it into production. It's, it's a, an interesting angle because a lot of people, what they're doing is taking data people and bringing them into software instead of the other way around. So it, I think that's that's interesting. What one question I would have is, so a lot of data mesh and getting to scale is finding areas of repeatability and scalability. So like, how are you finding that if, if you know, I mean... It's funny, you know, the whole, do we have product teams or project teams? And it's like, you've got kind of project teams that are getting people to creating a product. And so it's this kind of balance yeah. and that, that perspective, but like, how are you making sure that, that the, what you're learning is being brought back into the platform is being brought back into your ways of working so that every single new domain is um, you know you you are taking what you've learned and it's faster and more efficient and and all of those things. Uh, yeah, that's a that's an excellent question. Yeah, I've actually recently started calling us uh, social butterflies uh, in the office. Um, so we basically we we hop around between the the data platform team who develop the platform. We bring back basically feedback and also uh, feature requests or needs for features uh, back to the data platform so that the right uh, things, right capabilities are developed at the right time. Uh, whenever we do carry out an initiative with an analyst team, there's always this um, expectation and explicit understanding that um, the analyst team that we work with, they will work as ambassadors 
for our methods going forward. So they will start uh, training analysts around them. And that's also why it's very important for us that we only work um, in teams of two and two. So we actually have the opportunity to, um, yeah, basically build up this this level of skill and uh, development capacity that we're after. Because if there's too many, basically, yeah, too many cooks uh, spoiling the broth, uh, then it's also difficult to ensure that the learning um, is the same and as we expected for everyone else. And so by in that way, we also uh, get to, not when then my the two of my guys that have been in an initiative come back into the team. So we do also a lot of uh, knowledge sharing sessions uh, within my team. And so we know basically, we kind of, we're kind of the ones that know what's going on everywhere in the organization. We know what uh, people in private insurance are working on. We know what people in commercial insurance are working on. We know what the synergies are. And then we specifically kind of push people into also reusing uh, solutions that a different team has developed. And then that's also nice for them because then it's super, it's so much quicker basically to run an initiative with an analyst team that can benefit from a solution that we've developed with a different analyst team beforehand. So this is going to be a, a very difficult question. So uh, I'm just warning you a little bit ahead of time. But so I've kind of talked a little bit about this almost data Sherpa idea of hey, you kind of need these people that really understand the entire landscape and are connecting each other. Um, Jimmy Kozlo from Northern Trust was talking about he's doing this a lot too. It seems to me that there's still, no matter what you do, there's the data catalog and all of that, but there's still tribal knowledge as to what is actually embedded in these. And so how do you how do you take what you're learning from these and, and you're finding new ways of working, but also how do you make sure that that doesn't only get locked in the, the heads of your team? And so if people want to come to you and go, what should I do from a business idea? That's kind of a bad thing. You know, you want the domains to understand what they could do, but there's always this um, this gap that I'm finding, even if you had the perfect data catalog, if the data products were perfectly documented, there's still this gap of people not being able to think about what what is the art of the possible. So I'm, I'm wondering how you're seeing that evolve and what maybe not even have you fixed this yet, because I haven't found a single organization that has fixed it, but like, what are you doing to make sure it it doesn't become an overly centralized risk? Yeah, so we, I can, the only thing I can say with confidence is that we haven't fixed it yet either. Um, but um, what what we're basically uh, um, pushing for whenever we do run an in initiative with an analyst team is that they really, this idea that they have to start acting as ambassadors within their own division and basically help other people get, uh, get on board. Because also, just from a capacity perspective, I, I run a team of, uh, how many are we? Seven. And so we have uh, 25 analyst teams. So if we want to basically, if it's going to be us who need to, uh, yeah, skill up everyone, that's going to take much, much longer than, uh, yeah, than we would actually like to, like to take. So basically what we're trying to build 
is uh, our capabilities instead of just building the data products. And that's also why we basically always focus on these minimum viable products, because what's important for us is basically um, yeah, teaching analysts how to, how to develop data products. They're the ones who know what, how to use the data and what they, what they want to get out from their data. So there's, it's not for us to tell them basically what to do, what to do there, but it's our job uh, to teach them how to do this in, in the best possible way. And then, yeah, for us, it's also, we do, uh, I think I mentioned this, we, we just do a lot of internal uh, knowledge sharing. We are very uh, specific about that, that when, uh, when we, that we're updated on what exactly what everyone is working on. But then also uh, you mentioned the thing about, yeah, the data catalog can be uh, as good as it's, uh, yeah, can be a perfect data catalog. And you will still run into this issue, which is something that I very much agree with because we're also basically always trying to, uh, yeah, um, push the idea that it doesn't matter how good your documentation is. You can't really just, you can't, you can, you can also have the perfect documentation for something, but if you just push it onto users and tell them to read it, they're not going to do that because that's no one's, no one's going to want to read documentation. So it's really all about taking them by the hand and showing them how to do things. And then they can use the documentation to remind themselves of things maybe that they, that they've forgotten or extra details that weren't uh, in scope. Yeah. It's, it's funny The I've had this idea for a while of, I mean, well, so Adavinta had a really, really great idea a long time ago of having sample notebooks for every data product. And so it's like, okay, we've got the advanced queries and we've got the, the basic queries and there's two different notebooks. Right. And so, you know, somebody who's just trying to kind of learn it and poke at it. It's like, okay, I'm going to go into the simple, um, you know, the, the less advanced uh, sample queries. And then, you know, the data scientists are always going into the advanced. But like, there are all these ways of documenting a data product that aren't simple written documentation. And most of the simple written documentation is tra- is the actual transformation logic lineage instead of or not not the the actual transformations instead of the business logic as to why did we do this what are we trying to accomplish or you know so these lunch and learns or you have um i've been trying for a while to have people just have three people on your team for every data product record a five minute video no slides, just like, what were you trying to achieve? What do you think is useful? What do you think is interesting about this data product? And all of a sudden you get all these hidden, interesting things that spark people to go out and do that versus this documentation. Documentation sucks, right? Like every every product yeah. that I try and use, <laughs> every internet product I use, every SaaS product, all this stuff, I hardly read the documentation. Maybe I'll, I'll go through the videos and the sample videos, but yet we're not doing this for data. We're still pretending like we're in this in this world where all we have is the the little booklet that ships with the, you know with your product versus online documentation and being vibrant with that. And so that communication vehicles is really difficult. Are, are you finding so when are, like are you is your team finding a lot of these use cases like? That's the other thing is, is does your, has your team learned a ton about the business and, and all of this from jumping into all of these things? Are they finding these cross domain use cases? 
Oh, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So that's uh, that's basically my job. Uh, so I basically walk around uh, on the on the one side uh, as a shield for my team so that they are not uh, bombarded by by requests from the outside, but also as the one who basically talks to pretty much anyone in the organization trying to find those interesting use cases and basically having an active uh, backlog of initiatives uh, that we can run. And uh, I think that's the most fun part of the job. I, I still try and contribute uh, also on the technical side in initiatives when I can, but then it's more like as an, as an extra resource um, so that I don't lose this ability entirely. But basically, I'm just the one who communicates uh, for the most part to the outside so that everyone in my team is shielded from distractions. Yeah, to me, I think this is something that's emerging for me is is having that person that's connecting the dots. Yes, it would be great that if everybody connected the dots, but sometimes you need, uh, you know, I think Disney called them Imagineers or something like that. But like that concept of, hey, people are, are going to be kind of in their own world and they're not necessarily going to go out there and spelunk and go, what data is available? What could I do from this? And like helping them them understand that. Like, but how are you thinking? We were talking about this in the pre-call. How are you thinking about going into these domains and actually enabling them to see the benefit of doing this work, right? Like we could talk about measuring value. We can talk about all sorts of different things with this question. But like, are you going in, you know, I don't know if you've heard my unicorn farts theory, but you know, um, it's gotten much better, but at one point when all content out there about data mesh was what is data mesh, um, and so you just had a crapshoot whether somebody would find a good article or not, um, that you might as well just call it unicorn farts because, and, and the business people don't care, right? At the end of the day, the data analysts probably do because there's you know some mechanisms to to that, but the business people, the line of business people, don't really care. You know, we keep I keep saying don't pull them on the sausage factory tour. A lot of times they just, they're just there to eat sausage. Just give them the sausage that they want. Um, so like, how yeah, are exactly. you, how are you balancing all of that? I know it's a very, very complex question, but you could go in 50 different directions where you ever, you want to go with like, how are you thinking about all of that kind of combined into a cohesive strategy that you're moving forward with? Like, are you talking in data mesh? Are you talking value from data? Like, how are you getting people engaged, keeping them engaged, buy-in, you know, keeping that buy-in, all that. Mm, yeah. Uh, yeah. So actually we basically, as and I say we, as in my team, we love the book, uh, The Lean Startup. I don't know if you've uh, read it, but it's basically all about how and we basically try to work as much as we can as a lean startup within our organization. And so in the book, it's all about, uh, it's really all about value generation. How can you Exactly, and it's exactly as you say. Uh, basically, no one, no one cares that we build a cloud data platform. No one cares whether it's uh, Databricks or whether it might be Snowflake. No one cares whether which which uh, yeah cloud service it's hosted on. All they care about is how we are. So we're an insurance company. So how can we make more money uh, by selling insurance? And so that's basically always the the underlying question that we try and and answer as well so in the end i don't actually use the term data mesh uh, all that much so we actually focus mostly on the term data product and also self-service platform um and well domain 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 um 
yeah, expertise that comes into that, that kind of, we get that kind of for free in the way we're organized because our analyst teams, they do sit in the domains rather than being organized in a central uh, data scientist uh, division. But uh, yeah, data product and self-service platform are really the, the two principles that we focus on the most. We're still building a federa uh, federated governance. Um, we, I think, it, and from my perspective, that's also often the the most uh, difficult part, but we're trying to have that also emerge as we move along. And so for most analyst teams, actually, that we work with, uh, we're still in the luxury situation that they get um, they get a lot of business value just from the fact that we teach them how to develop, how to write code that is easier to maintain and um, easier to, to work on so that basically you don't have this this uh, personal dependence on that one specific person that has developed this one specific piece of code that no one else can uh, can service in a way. So when they're when they're done with us, they basically all of their all of their team have this same capability. It doesn't matter who's on holiday. It doesn't matter who's sick. Everyone can still work on the data product and generate more value from it. Yeah, it's it's funny. I was it financial analyst many, many moons ago. And I wrote one of the most complicated spreadsheets of all time that I've ever seen. Like it had like this whole rolling function of going back uh, to to measure the things for going back 10 years. And there was actually an error in it once. And we wouldn't have actually, like I didn't find it in the time before I left because it didn't have 10 years of history. But near 10, I just did a coding, you know, an if then statement, but a cascading VLOOKUP thing uh, that was insane, but like, you know, but they found it, which is great, but it was one of those things where they were like, hey, we think this is an error because the numbers aren't coming back exactly what we expect, but is this the error? And it was like, yes, it is. Uh, awesome that you found it. So, so sorry that I made this mistake, but yes, that whole, like, if, if they hadn't been able to come to me would they have had to write this thing custom every single month to go like, okay, what is the 10-year rolling average for month-to-month -month change, quarter-to-quarter -quarter change? It, it, yeah, it was. it's this whole crazy thing. Um, but that, that whole concept of getting towards stability for the organizational practice, like how are you... I, you, like you said, you were somewhat lucky in that you were already decentralized, but like, how are you finding that you're scaling this from an organizational perspective where uh, when most people start decentralized, their data is not interoperable at all. It's just, it's just everybody's in their own little silos. They're all like, Hey, this is good for what we're doing. I don't really care about how other people are doing. How have you started to evolve them towards this? Is this where your your software engineers are coming? Because this is where when people have an enablement team of data folks, they have a really, really concrete idea of how a domain's data can be shared into the broader data landscape and have it actually fit. But you're doing this with software engineers. So like, how are you keeping that so that it isn't just high quality data? silos yay we're doing data products but they're not interoperable and so like how are you how are you maintaining that or how are you finding those points of interoperability because you know, the reason why i'm i'm digging into this so much is because this is 
the point where a lot of people lose a ton of value of data mesh is that it's just high quality data silos. It's not actually interoperable. So I'm asking you to solve this thing for everybody everywhere out there. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, I'll, I'll try. Okay, <laughs> uh, let let me uh, let me try. No, um, joke aside. So we, um, I did say that we basically. Uh, I did say in the beginning that when we run an initiative, uh, we usually uh, it usually comes with the understanding and agreement for the analyst team that they also have to basically teach everyone else in their division. And I guess maybe it kind of sounded like we're then we're then kind of done with that division, but actually we're not. So basically, what we did with um, the first divisions is that we actually ran initiatives uh, with uh, several teams in those divisions. And so um, one of them was was in finance, actually. So there we we worked uh, with a group that's called uh, the actuaries, who basically calculate uh, insurance risk, and we run we ran an initiative with them. And so then we basically made an example of how you how you can then reuse the data products from one team uh, in another, because then we basically moved on a little bit later we moved on to running an initiative with uh, the control organ for the actuaries and so these guys then uh, have a very obvious and nice use case for basically reusing the results of a data product of another team and actually they didn't they didn't only do that but then they also contributed to the code base of the of the actuary team because they needed some features there um, to be able to do their own data product that wasn't available uh, in that in that um, initial product. So that was really nice. And those guys, so the control organ, they're actually one of my one of my favorite teams in the end that we ran an initiative with because they basically loved the entire. So they were coming from spreadsheets, from huge spreadsheets um, that are yeah that become uh, difficult to handle in memory on normal laptop. And so they were so, uh, they, they loved the process that we introduced them and the, the solution uh, that we introduced them to so much that they, not only did they have a launch party for it, but they also made hoodie. And <laughs> so I thought that was, uh, I thought that was very cute and adorable. But yeah, so we're basically trying to, so we, we try and do some of these examples. And then also there was a code base that we developed together with uh, customer relations management uh, within private. And so, of course, there's also, so then we already know, of course, there's also customer relations management in commercial. And so then we proactively went and uh, talked to uh, the team in commercial after we'd uh, worked with the team in private and then arranged for basically doing a similar initiative with those guys. So you play a little bit of politician, basically. <laughs> yeah. Um, when you think about uh, data science, a big part of reusability is just reusing parts of models. And, you know, that's where you start to talk about feature stores or you'd say, okay, we've already solved this type of problem, so we can solve it in such a way that is is more reusable. Are you finding that your reusability is more around the actual data that you've structured or the concepts that you've encapsulated or, you know, because sometimes reusability is about combining data from a lot of different things, but sometimes it's also just not reinventing the wheel. Like, where are you, are you finding that that's kind of both or like what, what, what are you finding is more, um, 
valuable or, or more common? Mm. Yeah, so we, from from our um, perspective, it's basically at the moment we get the most value from uh, basically standardizing the way the way we work with the data, because we do come we do come from a from a huge uh, managed kind of data warehouse uh, background, and so we have this data warehouse now in uh, in our Lakehouse platform, and so we basically saw no reason to kind of you know say okay well we have this we have all this nicely managed data where everyone knows what the quality is and there is a dedicated data engineering team that manages uh, that that data so that's uh, heavily reused by every single uh, data science team and so we basically we saw no reason to think about whether whether that should be split up i mean the the data engineering team is also kind of um, or is organized in a division by division uh, basis so there are little sub uh, subcultures in the data engineering team who work for private who work for commercial and so on and so forth but given that we had this given that we already have this finished kind of well, finished never finished uh, data warehouse within our platform um, we basically uh, yeah looked at it more like a hub and spoke kind of um solution for us where we uh, build our spokes out from the out to the sides from this uh, central data warehouse data and then we're making new connections around the wheel so to speak so are, are you at the in the process of actually subsuming some of that are you taking some of the stuff out of the, the warehouse like um uh, Kurt Gardner talked about using the strangler fig pattern. Yeah, so the strangler fig pattern is about this uh, plant that wraps itself around another plant and it just kind of takes a lot of the nutrients from that plant. And so in software, the strangler fig pattern is about um, taking more and more bits, you know, quote unquote, the nutrients out of um, a, a monolith and moving it into microservices. So when you think about that from a, a warehouse perspective, a lot of people are taking, you know, this thing that's already working, but that is not flexible and not scalable or, or you know, that has these challenges of it. And they're starting to break that more and more into data products. But some people are also just going, nah, we're, it's just anytime there's this stuff that's a little bit more complex that we have that not in the warehouse, but that we are slowly evolving our warehouse still and that we've kind of got these two different things. And then you get into the question of, is that really data mesh? I don't really care. If, it, if it's working for them, why would I care? Why do I want them to do data mesh simply for the sake of doing data mesh versus driving value for them? But are you doing that? Like, are you still focused on evolving and building the warehouse or are you focusing on slowly decommissioning it but you know doing it in a controlled manner over time mm. yeah so for the for the time being uh, there are no plans of uh, decommissioning uh, the warehouse uh, the warehouse part of our data and it's yeah i very much agree with uh, what you said basically we're, we're not doing data mesh for the sake of doing data mesh it just it, and that's also part of the reason why I talk a lot less about data mesh specifically and more the four uh, governing principles because um, basically, yeah, at the end of the day, no one no one cares really whether we build data mesh. And if I 
uh, if I say it to if I say it to someone in the business uh, yeah in in the business areas they might they might say like oh data mesh what, what's that product do we have to buy this or how can we how can we put a data mesh into our data warehouse um, but really what we're just trying to do is basically to get the most value uh, the most value possible out of out of the data that we have and so for the time being we have we see no we see no downside from having this organized data warehouse data that we have um, because it also enables us to actually uh, build data pro data products a lot quicker because we don't have to build um, we don't have to build a data databases for every single analyst team first we can rely on this uh, managed data that we already have and have been using for a long time. So it's a very pragmatic approach to data mesh. Yeah. Are, are you using the data warehouse as the source for the data? Because that can be, you know, a little bit complex when you think of the actual not owning the source. Uh, and so that's where you get, you know, into some of um, GMAX pushbacks around data as a product, but it's also just the way that the world exists. And so, you know, wouldn't it be great if everybody had perfect ownership, but they don't? But I, I'd love to hear like how you're actually thinking about the product ownership side and making sure that things can actually be run as products. Mm. Yeah. So there's, I mean, what we do basically is that uh, the analysts basically um create a pipeline from the data warehouse into their personal workspace and into their personal. So every, every uh, analyst team has a, has their own kind of database that they can work in where they develop their data product. Um, but it's really, yeah, for the most part, basically for now we are working on the, uh, delivery side. So when they, so the, the new tables that they generate that they might, for example, um, yeah, uh, share, with another team um, and who might then use that combined with other data from the data warehouse um, and pick that up into their database and then wrangle that into something else and publish some new data. So we're, so I guess our, our data products are more on the, on the publishing side. Um, and then that could be, and then there's, there could be, for example, new, uh, external source data that a team might discover that they want to use, and then they can they can uh, they can be the owners, or they will be the the owners for that because that will not be part of the digital warehouse. So it's uh, yeah, so it's basically a mix of picking up um, picking up data from the warehouse, uh, generating value value with it, publishing that value, and then letting other people discover it and use it. Yeah, that makes sense. It's it's. I mean, I, I think, again, somebody might say, oh, I don't know if, if you're not controlling the source, is this really data mesh? But I don't think that matters at the end of the day, right? I don't think like what you're doing, as long as there's control around it or in, in such a way where you understand the processes that need to happen, then your focus, like you said, on pushing out the idea of a product from the consumption standpoint, and over time, you may change your your data sourcing model internally to, um, you know, make it more specific to the the data mesh model, or you may not. And does that really matter at the end of the day? Because you understand 
where there are potential challenges and where there's not. And, and from my perspective, I've just never really cared. Uh, as long as you, as long as you understand your challenges and what what could be the the issues there. Yeah, basically, I just wanted to add. Basically, just uh, just basically, don't really see the the point of having to uh, destroy value before I should be able to generate new value. I can I can very happily just generate value on top of the value that I already have. So I don't need to I don't need to uh, uh, destroy a data warehouse when it's already there. Yeah, for sure. Um, and and so I'd love to kind of uh, wrap up around the concept around. Um, minimum viable, right? Like what, what does minimum viable mean? What are you building there? And how are you making that evolvable, right? You, your initial concept of what is a minimum viable product from a data product standpoint, minimum viable mesh, minimum viable, whatever. Like how did you, like what, what, what have you changed? But also how did you tell people to understand? Because in data, people haven't ever thought about fast fail, haven't really, or in general, because it's, you know, any failure is considered just horrifically bad. Um, and, and so people have also locked on to whatever has been created initially. Any change has meant a breaking change. So change has always been horrible. And so I'd love to hear like how you first introduced this concept of minimum viable. And, you know, it sounded like you were kind of doing the lean startup stuff. So maybe it was easier because you were coming in with software people who knew about minimum viable and that type of thing. But how did you introduce that to the data people so they could they could really start to understand and be comfortable around something that historically would have been terrible, right? Like evolution in data has meant just breaking changes. Yeah, right. And also, I mean, coming from a, from a data science background and also in the sciences, I know that it's very easy basically to get kind of lost in this uh, yeah in basically trying to find value in your data and like looking around and doing you can do exploratory data analysis uh, for the rest of your life basically uh, life basically but uh, what we basically focus on is just uh, hypothesis testing so we've, we're trying we we work on uh, yeah hypotheses that we can find an easy way to test with the analyst and so then it so either either we can uh, either we can perform some simple tests that will basically uh, yeah ne uh, negate this hypothesis and then we move on to the next. So we probably gain some insights that tell us uh, which way we should uh, evolve the hypothesis, uh, or we find evidence that may support it, or we just find no opposing evidence. So then we can basically continue moving in that in that direction. Um, but usually, and then you find. You find basically this uh, this kind of way of using your data that you're fairly confident that you will uh, generate some value from, and then that's your starting point. And then you generate, uh, then you basically generate the right kind of code or the right kind of product that will then leverage this uh, this value, this potential value. But it's a very difficult. Um, it's a very difficult task. It's a basically a culture change that has to kind of happen and um yeah so there's there's no real set recipe that i have that i can share um yeah it's more like once teams uh once teams have discovered this way of working once uh they usually don't want to go back 
That, that makes perfect sense. It's it's very uh, it's it's one of those where you go, oh, I can't do this. I can't do this. This is going to be terrible. And then you're like, oh no, this actually works way better. Oh, okay, I see why this is. <laughs> I see why we should be bringing software practices to this. Um, so so I would love to 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 kind of uh, wrap up on the question that I, I typically ask somebody, and we've kind of woven this through. But like, if you were to think about advice to your past data mesh self, right? When you were first starting out with data mesh or or things like that, what what would you go back and tell yourself? Like, what are some things that you would say, hey, avoid this because it's going to cause pain? Or, you know, like you said, you, you rarely talk about data mesh. Was it something like that? Was it, okay, you know, this thing is going to take more time? Or uh, my favorite, a lot of people talk about is, buy-in isn't permanently won. It's uh, you, you, you have buy-in until you don't, and you have to continue to go back and get buy-in. So like, is there anything that you would tell yourself that you'd go back that other people might be able to leverage and, and not have the same pain that, that you went down? Yeah. Yeah. So for me, it's definitely the, uh, the idea where I started to stop talking uh, explicitly about data mesh to people who uh, who are new to this, um, but because they basically when when I did that when I talked about data mesh specifically, there was either an expectation of oh okay is this like just a product that I put onto my data platform and uh, just buy this or is this just going to happen, or uh, on the other hand there's there's a huge expectations that you that you basically do some small tweaks. Uh, to the way people are working and then suddenly you have a data mesh. So it's it helped me a lot more to just to just focus on uh, basically pushing the four the four governing uh, principles and making sure that we are working that we are actively working with them and that we're trying to that they are basically the yeah the gold standard in a way. And then um, we can talk about data mesh with either people who, who um have yeah who have their own kind of who had their own introduction to to the concept and have read about this and uh, and know it, uh, or then later on when we're actually when we see it evolving into mesh, and then we can say here this is something that looks like a data mesh. Um, so. Yeah, I, I I like that. I think that's come up a lot. Of again, you're just you're talking sausage making to, to people, and a lot of people don't care. And even the ones that do, it's really easy to get lost in the in the weeds and be like, okay, um, you know, uh, the the number of times you get wrapped into the conversation of exactly how you would implement it. It's like, well, it's different at every organization, and you you lose sight of why are we doing it instead of like it's all about the what. It's like, no, it's the why, yeah. and you just exactly. keep coming back to that. So, yeah. Mm, and uh, yeah, exactly. And I just want to add to that. That is also, of, of course, not to say that uh, and finding a name for this and coining data mesh is not is not valuable. Of course not. It's just the way. It's just basically. It's uh, I found it easier in my journey to basically go more the the inception kind of way, if you will, and first introduce the idea of what we're actually doing, and then telling people, well, some clever people have come up with a name for this. Data mesh. Yeah, I, I think some if they don't have, if, if people are pushing back a ton, then you can say, oh, and we've got 
you know, you know, a thousand other organizations that are doing it. And, you know, many, especially in the insurance space or, you know, life sciences, pharma space or, you know, anything financial services, actually, um, not just insurance, but like, there's so many that you can do that. But if you don't need it, you don't have to be like, and this is the thing. And then they go and they try and read Jamak's book and they're, it's like very theoretical. And it's, it's like, it's tough for a lot of people because people in data historically have been overly prescriptive because so much of the information flow has been from vendors. And so they're like, and the, the, the prescription is our tool and this is how you use our tool. And so a completely different approach has, has been, uh, an interesting challenge to communicate about. Well, um, Alexandra, we talked about a whole heck of a lot of different things. Is there anything we didn't cover that you'd like to, or any way you'd like to wrap up the episode? No, I think we've we've actually covered uh, yeah most of what's important to me. So I'm pretty happy with that. Awesome, and I'm sure there are going to be a lot of people that would love to follow up with you. Uh, where's the best place? Anything specific you'd like people following up about? Yeah, anything, I mean, anything really about uh, being an enabling team in the data space, generally data usage, data governance uh, also, because I find that I find that very difficult. Uh, so if anyone has a gold solution for that, that would be grand. Awesome. Well, and we'll drop uh, a link to your LinkedIn in the show notes to make it easy for folks to come and find you to, to come and talk about that. But well, Alexandra, again, thank you so much for your time here today. And as well, thank you, everyone out there for listening. I'd again like to thank my guest today, Alexandra Deem, head of cloud analytics and MLOps at Norwegian insurance company, Yensidia. You can find a link to her LinkedIn in the show notes as per usual. Thank you. Hopefully that interview episode was really useful for you. Please do consider getting in touch with guests from the show, from these episodes. Most have said they'd really love people to reach out to them. And please, as well, if you've got a minute, rate and review the podcast somewhere. It really is honestly super helpful for other people looking into kind of data podcasts to kind of get this in front of them. Data Mesh Radio is again provided as a free community resource by Data Mesh Understanding. It's produced and hosted by me, Scott Herleman. In April of 2023, I left Data Stacks, who were wonderful in getting the Data Mesh community stuff started. So give them a shout for streaming and real-time AI needs. But I left to start my own industry analyst kind of information as a service firm. Our offerings are affordable and you can do them on a one-off or a month-to-month basis. You know, read kind of, throw it on the credit card. Don't worry about like going through purchasing and things like that. The services include lots of practitioner roundtables, you know, one-on-one data mesh kind of planning or feedback sessions and tailored introductions to other data mesh practitioners that are focused around your topics of interest, you know, what what are you actually running into challenges with? We also have some free programs around introductions and roundtables that people can kind of check out as well. Check the show notes or just go to datameshunderstanding.com for more info or helpful resources. As always, if you have suggestions for guests or topics, please do get in touch as well and have a wonderful rest of your day. Now let's hear that funky outro music. Mm-hmm.